<laughs> and welcome to EMS Underground. I am your host, Charles McFall, and this is what I do. We talk about the things that nobody else wants to talk about. That's why we're the underground for EMS. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things. But first off, I am joined. I got to get this set up correctly, right? Yeah, so it looks good. I'm joined by uh, Jeremy Webb, who uh, we're going to talk about some things coming up here on the school so, Jeremy, uh, what, what's some shizzy we got going down, man? What do we have going down? What do we do not have going down would probably be the best thing to say. Um, such well, a nerd. <laughs> You're such a nerd. Uh, <laughs> I think that is a compliment from you, Charles. All right, fine. Tell, tell us about why why you're interrupting my show time, my, my me time with your, me. your stuff. Because it's me. All That's right. what I do. <laughs> All right, so um, I just wanted to take a brief few minutes to tell everybody about something we have exciting coming up on the 26th, and actually the 31st too, but first let's just go and talk about the 26th of October. Um, we have a uh, blood drive going on. Uh, we're working with Life South. Um, they're a uh, nonprofit community blood drive. Charles is uh, Vanna Whiting. Uh, you can here. kind of see that on the screen. Okay. Well, good. It's also going to be on our website soon. Yeah. Um, but this is uh, uh, very exciting. We're working with Life South. They're a uh, nonprofit community blood bank. Um, they're actually coming out with their blood mobile on the 26th of October here at the school. Um, we're going to be here from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. doing the blood drive. Um, what's good about Life South is um, I've been working with Tiffany there at Life South. She's amazing. So she's um, what's good about it? Nothing else? And nothing else. Okay. It's just Tiffany. Just checking. No, I'm just kidding. The whole organization is great, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but uh, they're actually coming out, and um, they actually work with local hospitals. So um, what that means is that um, it doesn't get shipped out you know, elsewhere. They work with so local So if you hospitals. give blood here, it's not going to like the Bahamas where people need it. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. it's, it's Just check. <laughs> no, it doesn't no, no, you're, go there. No, no. no I know. You're no, actually no. helping your local community. Yeah, you're helping your you're local saying. community out. Yeah. because, But it will get shipped. So basically, um, whenever the, the requirements and needs are met here first, then it goes and gets shipped out. So basically is how that works. And, you know, um, from what I've been told, one donation will save three lives. Okay. So basically a pint of blood saves three lives. Um, but, um, but they're actually, Life South is, um, they're actually uh, the number one uh, provider for the children uh, health care of Atlanta, Choa. Um, so we're excited to have them out here. Um, so come out, donate some blood. Uh, you'll get a free T-shirt. I don't know, I guess you can see it on the picture Charles was showing you. Uh, the T-shirt there is free. Um, they're going to have breast cancer awareness shirts. Um, so come out, get a free T-shirt, but most importantly, give some blood. Uh, they're going to give you some yeah. cookies. Some uh, nutter butters. Nutter butters. So, yeah. yeah, I'm told that's a popular cookie now is nutter butter. So You know, I, I know, I, you know I, they've been giving away that at blood drives for I don't know how long. Yeah. It's been since I was a kid, I can remember. I remember the old finger. Remember the uh, remember the cookies that you used to make rings out of? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when they used too. to do those before they went yeah, to Yeah, those, and those little sugar sticks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that and uh, orange juice or something. Wafers, yeah, yeah wafers, yeah, wafers, juice. yeah. So yeah. we've uh, we took that a little step ahead, you know, and did that. So, um, but just uh, their requirements are you got to be 16 years of age or older. Um, if you're 16, though, you will have to have uh, parental consent. Um, you have to weigh at least 110 pounds. I don't know if I'll be able to give, man. <laughs> um, and uh, I have to have a show a photo ID. So, um, but yeah, come out, get it. Short. Yeah, because you know. Blood donation fraud is such a huge thing. So right up there with voter fraud, I'm just saying. 
It yeah. is. It is. It's, it's, uh, no, I think it's, it's so they can track you they, in case because they test all the blood. Right. So they need they a way to, to track, to track you down. back if something yeah. happens. Something's going on with your blood. And, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're also going to be doing uh, hands-only CPR demonstrations for the community that day as well. So, so you get free CPR education. Now you're not certified, but you get free CPR education. Right. We're just educating. You get free high because you're lightheaded from giving blood. Mm-hmm. You get free sugar. Mm-hmm. It's a good day. Free shirt. It's a good day. Uh, free, free shirt. I forgot about that free T-shirt. All you're doing is just sitting there and donating a pint of your blood that will be not missed because guess what? You'll get it back sooner or later. You make um, more. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's from when? That's going to be Saturday, October the 26th from uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So uh, we're going to have it actually on the back side of the school. So, so I see you Clark have an Street. address written down yeah. there. So we got our school address is on Usher Street. That's right. our front entrance. But mm-hmm. as we, everybody knows that comes here, we go from street to street. So we're going to actually, because of parking and things like that, we're going to do it on the back side, which is on Clark Street. The address will be on the website here within the next couple of days. So just keep an eye out for that. And um, I'm going to start having flyers out throughout Covington, emails. If you guys want to, um, you know, come out, uh, contact me, let me know. Um, you can reach me. Uh, my email address is jweb at G-A-I-E-M-S dot com. J-W-E-B as in boy, B as in boy at G-A-I-E-M-S dot com. So just let me know if you plan to come out and donate. Um, even if you don't let me know, still come out. But if I know ahead of time, that'd be awesome to uh, tell your friends, family, you know. Come Everybody, on. 16 and older. 16 and older. Um, last thing I'll leave you with. Now, what about that? Sorry, I, want to, I know yeah. we're going to talk about another event, and you might not have this information, uh, but I know I was told before, like Red Cross, if you have, if you take blood sugar medication or blood pressure medication, you can't really donate blood. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure okay. on it with Life South, but you can actually, um, if you do have questions about that, call us or contact me. I'll get a hold with Tiffany at Life South and see what's going on with that. Because I know there are certain things, like I think if you've had a tattoo within a certain amount of time, yeah, um, I think it's still a thing. If you've been um, out of the country within 30 days. Yeah, yeah. So those kind of um, there's a few other things, too. So if you're kind of questionable whether or not you can or not donate blood, just give me a call. Give Charles a call. We'll get a hold of Tiffany. Uh, call us at the school here, um, and we'll find out what's going on if you have any particular questions about that. And, Absolutely. Know, what other, what other uh, things we got going on? The uh, haunted house. So this is going to be exciting. It's Otherwise be- known as the biggest mess we have to clean up. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you guys, everybody else here loves it but me. I know. Me, I'm just like, eh, I'm not making any money on this till this year. And then uh, I got to help clean up the mess. Whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest thing, you know, with any project that you do is the cleanup afterwards and the setup between, you know, before that and everything. But, um, but yeah, so um, we're going to have October the 31st. Um, we're going to start um, – we're projected about 5 p.m. Uh, I'll be on the show hopefully one more time interrupting, you know, closer to that time to give exact times. But um, we should be getting started about close to dark. Uh, Covington will have their um, – I think you checked. They have their stuff going on that night too, right? Their scare on the square or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be in, in line with the, the scare on the square for Covington. Yeah. So all the businesses, you know, they can go around doing things. They'll have booths on the, yeah. the square. We're right next to Goody Barn, yep. and they'll have a little booth there so you can come in. And, and uh, yeah, this thing's going to be a huge haunted house. Yeah, it's going to be like – I wouldn't say netherworld style, but it's going to okay. be like. No, it's no. definitely not going to be netherworld. <laughs> but it's going to be better than what so, we've had before. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it's getting gonna better be every year for sure. Haunted house, um, and all. Dude, hey, do you think Covington knows us for plugging them in on that for the scare wing? Yeah, yeah, you know, everything right. should be a sponsorship here right. on the show, so they I'll can sure they can just make it even for the and license. give us the license. Yeah, remember that city of Covington. 
Um, but anyway, the, yeah, that's that's you know the gist of what we got going on. But remember, the 26th especially, uh, that's really a great cause. Um, 31st is a great cause for us because we'll get to scare you. Um, but the 26th is uh, something that's uh, that's going to be great, you know, to help the community and and uh, help someone. You know, you never know. You know, you could be saving somebody's life and not even know it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if we mix the two events. <laughs> haunted house you know, that would have been blood? awesome yeah that would be interesting awesome. yeah so you know. give blood during the haunted house right that yeah so you walk through one of the rooms where people are giving blood and you don't know if this is real or if this is part of the haunted house and you know i like your style we'll remember that cool. for next year so we will i think about that next year anything else anything else going on uh no we got some new classes coming up in november um yeah EMT, the next EMT, the last set yeah. for this year no yep. uh emt and advanced emt have been set uh, it's just an EMT standard class, uh, which is two nights a week here mm-hmm. for 18 weeks. And the advanced EMT has both the standard and the hybrid uh, going on there. And uh, right before the holidays, this is a good time to get in. Because come January, new year, new me, you're going to get on a wait list. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You will get in. So, yeah, yep. so, yeah lots of cool things year's resolution going on. Uh, uh, Laura DePooter says, don't let Marines make the haunted house if you want elementary kids to be able to walk through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the point. We don't want elementary kids yeah. to get walked through. We want everybody to be scared. But well, we, we do welcome everybody, by the way. So. <laughs> I think the goal, and I'm not kidding, I think the goal of Tom and Jeremy and Megan is to have a parent drag their kids screaming through this thing. No, it happened last year. House. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. I mean, literally, we had people, like, scared to death. I mean, they they were one parent was actually dragging their child through just like you said it's crazy it's fun yeah so all right jeremy thanks for for coming in and uh talking about that he's going to be getting back to doing other stuff here around the school so uh you're dismissed now thank you you're welcome thank you thank you for having me charles (laughs) no and we'll definitely have you back on later this month to talk more about it all right uh so yeah, he's going to go. We're going to talk about uh, world health today. So let me jump over here. Not world health, but mental health. Today is Mental World Health Day. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and set the break here for the podcast. And I'm going to go ahead and promote a few things. Because once I get into telling my story, uh, there's probably not going to be a good natural place to break for the ad for the, the podcast. We do have a podcast out there. Actually, do I have the link? But that's okay. Um so our podcast is EMS Underground and it's anchor.fm forward slash EMS Underground. You can find it. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play, all of that. So if you're unable to make the Thursday afternoon recording sessions where I do this live here on Facebook, and hopefully as you help us out, as you help support the show through listening to the ad, that helps out a lot. It didn't cost you anything but a few seconds of your time, and it helps us raise some money for the show. But if you want to support, actually, I've got a button for that as well. Patreon.com forward slash 911 Studios. If you want to help support there, every bit helps so that we can go out and do more interviews, so we can talk and dig deeper into what's going on in EMS in Georgia. And we're willing to go nationwide. You know, some of these topics, like today, mental health is a nationwide topic without a doubt uh talking about suicide prevention um and i'll I'll get into all of that so you can definitely help out by going to pledging your support at patreon.com forward slash 911 studios it really does make a difference 
It makes a difference. It helps us go and, and find more information. I mean, Freedom of Information Act, people say freedom it and free. Well, Freedom of Information Act definitely isn't free. So when we're doing these investigations as we do, as we have done into DeKalb, into South Fulton, to what's going on, to get that information, we have to pay for that. Uh, to be able to go to, uh, I want to go up to Clayton County and talk to them about their, their paramedic program. Well, that's drive time. That's kind of out of office time. So we could use your help. I could use your help. If you want to change the conversation about EMS, if you want to help make our industry a better place than it is, because it's an okay place, but there's a lot of crap going on. If we're going to be honest, there's a lot of crap that goes on in our industry, which leads into today's topic. So, Help out, help support us, call us, email us, give us those topics. And I'll be honest with you, we need some whistleblowers. Uh, I hate to kind of put it that way, but the reality is uh, we need some people who are willing to give us documents and information and be anonymous about it. But the only way to change anything is to start talking about it. And I did uh, just come back from the instructor update uh, from Savannah, and there was some stuff there that, I mean, it didn't take until lunchtime before I was raising my hand and challenging David and saying, I, this is now some of the questions were clarification questions. And some of what David Newton is doing is good stuff for instructors and good stuff for EMTs. But there's some stuff in there that I fully believe is going to destroy EMS as an industry here in Georgia. And uh, we got to talk about it. And we need more information. So here's the break for the podcast. We'll be back just after this. Hopefully you had something interesting there to listen to, but today is 10-10, so it's October 10th. It is World Mental Health Day, and at that conference I was talking about before the break, uh, there was a suicide of a battalion chief, and that always rocks this industry, as it should, and I was talking with uh, Yamil Berard of the AJC about things, and what came up in our conversation was I said I'd always love to do a study on divorce rates in our industry versus divorce rates everywhere else. Because I believe it's high. She says, oh, you think it's higher than 50%? I'm like, oh, well, if that's the average, then hell yeah, it is way higher than 50%. Divorce rates in EMS, the meme that continuously goes around in the, the EMS funny posts and, and those kind of things and just around is in this field, in this profession, by 40, you should have chronic back pain, a divorce. Uh, and I forget the two other things, like crippling debt or something. I forget. But it, it's all four things were very much accurate as to what is kind of the sad standard of our industry. And mental health issues are a major part of that. So the only way to really break stigmas, the only way, and uh, on a post that was shown recently, so I don't know what the post was, I don't know the name of the person, but somebody got out out there uh, after this recent suicide. Because I started with divorce, right? I believe those rates are very high. The other part of the conversation I had with Emil was that uh, suicide rates are astronomical in our field. Uh, we call it early retirement, just so we're not always talking about the ugliness. And I think we need to stop that. I think we need to talk about the ugliness and say it's suicide. It is killing yourself. It is letting life's crap build up on us so much that we feel so alone. And maybe there's a trigger. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you just 
can't connect with anybody in this world. Because I believe that's what really ultimately gets down to suicide is you feel like you can't talk to anybody, that you're the only one that feels that way. And maybe you're surrounded by people who believe it's weakness to, to, to have an issue. Maybe there's nobody to talk to. Maybe you haven't tried. I don't know. But I saw a person get on a post and talk about um, how we need to change it, how we need to talk about it. Uh, I didn't honestly see any personal story other than she, you know, 99% of her didn't want to put stuff out there because she was kind of private. 1% of her said she had to talk about stuff, but I didn't see where she had an attempted suicide. I'm not knocking her down. I'm, I'm building a story here. I didn't see where, where she talked about her husband killed himself or her wife killed herself. I, I, I didn't see anything other than this is very important to me. It rocks my world. She's specifically talking about this battalion chief. Uh, and that's apparently the fourth time in a year or two years in the same department that uh, somebody's killed themselves. And that's not singling out where this person was. And if you know where they were, I'm not going to mention it because I, I'm specifically avoiding. I'm not singling out this department as having an issue. This issue is widespread throughout our industry. But my issue with not with her post, her post was great. I, I it, it motivated me to say, you know what? I need to share my story here publicly on the podcast and on the stream so that people could start seeing they're not alone. People can start seeing there is a better life after this darkness that uh, uh, they can start seeing all kind of other stuff. My problem was with the responses to her post. Oh, you're so brave for sharing this. No, 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 she wasn't. She absolutely didn't share anything personal of nature. She didn't give a hardcore bare soul story of how she faced suicide herself or with a loved one. She didn't do that. Now, if you can't do that, that's fine. Again, I'm not calling her out. I'm calling out the responses. Another one's like, oh, I'll pray for you with little clappy hands. That does nothing. If you believe in faith and you believe in God, understand I am not talking about any of that here. I'm talking about practical things that we can do in life to help stop suicide in our field. How we can start opening up to each other, how we can share an ability to talk to each other. And I'm going to give some recommendations on, uh, I'm going to make, make some recommendations on what I think needs to happen, especially in the larger departments. But when somebody, I'm talking from personal experience, and I'll get to that part of the story a little bit later, but I'm going to give you the overview right now. Uh, from personal experience, I grew up in a church, even into my adult life when I was active on the truck, and I was struggling with the demons from this truck. I was struggling with everything that I thought I had to carry. I was, I had the darkness of this job in me and I needed somebody to help me. And I went to the pastor of the church I was in and I barely tipped my toe in the water. I started talking about just a little bit of what I was struggling with, knowing that there's this much that I'm actually carrying, but here I'm going to show you that much. And they freaked out. They said, I can't help you. Here's a counselor you need to go to. And I did. And the counselor helped. It saved my marriage. But that response of, I'll pray for you, might as well be telling me to go F myself. Or, you know what? I'll pray for you, might as well be telling me to go kill myself. Because when somebody like me, when somebody like you watching, you step out and you, you, you feel so weak and so lost and so alone, and you want that help and you don't even know how to ask for it, because that even makes you feel weaker or more helpless. And you do just a little bit 
ask for help and you get told you'll get prayed for, in that moment, that does nothing for the person asking for help. Just like with the homeless. You know, I'm hungry. Can I have a dollar? I'll pray for you. That doesn't put chicken in their belly. And I'll pray for you doesn't make me not want to kill myself. Now, I personally, I personally only faced depression so dark that I wanted to kill myself when I was a teenager. And at that moment, you know, I I came to a, a crossroads and it was off myself or burn the world to the ground. And I opted for burn the world to the ground. And I was very good at that for many, many years. And that was through my teen years. And it was rough on my family. It was rough on everybody around me. I was brutal, man. I did not put up with anybody's crap. And I was the biggest asshole in the world. Um, But I have actually dealt with depression. I have dealt with anxiety. I have dealt with a breakdown. And I'm going to get to all that in my story. And I want to talk about some of the comments coming in here. On Facebook, actually, I think I can show parts of them if I pull this up over here. My control center is now off camera here, yeah, instead of right here in you know in the way. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Laura says here, there we go. Oh, take that off. Yeah. All right. Laura says we work on making things funny, but it's not. It's a way to deal with it. But the truth of being broke, being hurt, mental health, depression—it's scary. We need to find ways to make it okay to talk about these things and how to get people to be able to realize that they aren't the only one in the struggle. A lot of us have struggled with the same thing. And that's absolutely true. I I, I absolutely hate the ungratefulness, but also the warning trigger signs of darkness and depression and downward spiral when I say, hey, man, how's it going today? Same day, uh, uh, new day, same shit. Or, you know, uh, some version of negativity or I don't get paid enough for this, which if that's true, you know, that's a whole financial conversation. If you actually if you're not actually getting paid enough for what you do, you need a new job. I'm sorry. I had to make that decision myself. That is just the hard truth is if you're not getting paid enough for what you do, you need a different job. But I like helping people. Rule number one of medicine, take care of yourself. Well, I've never taught that in EMT school. Yeah, you have. Scene safe PPE. What is that if that's not take care of yourself first? And honestly, with that class, most people teach, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't help somebody else. Uh, For civilians, I always relate it to the airplanes. When they, they tell you, if an airbag drops down, help yourself first, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, then help the person next to you. But we don't do that when it comes to mental health, when it comes to being broke, when it comes to our physical health. Now, I've been overweight since as long as I can remember. I've actually lost some weight since I was on the ambulance. But being in the field didn't make me overweight, but it definitely didn't help. You know, lack of exercise, bad eating habits. Uh, You know what? Honestly, it's a lack of adulthood in our field. It is a massive lack of adulthood in our field of people calling each other out in a good way saying, you know, Hey, why are you eating that? You should be eating more healthy. Well, I can't, well, you're full of crap. I mean, I'm talking about calling crap. No, you're full of crap. You absolutely can't. Instead of spending $8, even at Chick-fil-A, $10 at Chick-fil-A, how about you go to the grocery store and get a salad to go or a sandwich or, you know, an apple, some bananas, whatever. There are healthier options. How about you get water instead of Mountain Dew? 
I, for one, lived on Snickers and Mountain Dew for the better part of a year, and it was horrible. Horrible in my health. Horrible in my mental status. And there's so much we could talk about with, with food and, and those kind of things. Um, uh, Lars, again, putting in here a statement here. Uh, I try to talk more about being emotionally abused because if others don't know about what it is and what it looks like, how can you know it and change it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this comment up here too. Uh, Laura says I pray for folks a lot. Oops, it scrolled up on me. But I also try to make sure I offer additional help. Talk phone numbers. Hugs. Yeah, see that's why I wanted to read that. Talks phone numbers, hugs, food, time, horses, uh, food. Lots of times I pray because I know it's the way. I make it through my depression. As you said, it's very hard to talk and ask for help and admit you're struggling. And so, yeah, I, I am absolutely not against you praying for somebody or even yourself. But when somebody asks for help, as much as it scares us, because instantly, because I can look back in my journey and in my being aware of my life and see what was going on in that, that preacher's mind. And it freaked him out because let me tell you a hard truth about life. We're all broken. Every last one of us. Now, there are some who've gotten healing. There's some who started off better health mentally and physically than others. My kids are being health, way more healthy and way more better citizens of society than I was. And it's the way I was raised. It's the way I thought about things. It was just what it is. All right. Again, if you go to blaming other people, how do you fix the problem? And uh, uh, Laura... Mentions one of my old shows, Success Freaks Podcast, Finding Your Worth. Uh, that is a great uh, episode that I did with a partner of mine back then called Our Morning Mon about how <clears throat> how you start getting out of that. And some of that I'll probably touch on here as well. But if you understand that your choices are what bring you to this spot, then you can fix it. If you think... My my wife who's divorcing me and taking the kids, it's all her fault. How do you fix that? How do you change that? You don't and you're helpless. If you say, well, my boss is a horrible person and they don't pay me enough. How do you fix that? You don't and you're helpless. If you say, all I can eat is this crappy food off the uh, off the quick Quickie Mart shelf or, you know, off the roller cart or this this cheeseburger at McDonald's every day because I can afford it off the dollar menu. How do you fix that? You can't. And you're helpless. But if you go, you know what? I'm making bad decisions. Instead of going to McDonald's today, I'm going to find somewhere to make a salad. Instead of McDonald's today, hey, let's swing by on the way into work. I'm going to leave half hour early and I'm going to swing by a Publix or a Kroger or whatever grocery store. I'm going to pick up something that's a little more healthy for me. I'm going to try something different. Instead of instead of getting that large Coke or Mountain Dew or whatever, even Diet Coke and Coke Zero, I'm going to get a water. I'm going to get a couple bottles of water today and drink those. Little decisions. See, you can fix that. You can change that. And that matters. And I'm going to get to my story here in a minute about how taking personal responsibility changed my life. How I had to realize there was nobody out there who could help me. There were people who could listen. There were people who could say, I have been there. I've done that. It gets better. 
And I'm here to tell you, as somebody who feels like he's a healthy human being, I still struggle with some mental health issues. I still hit depression. I still get caught up in my own mind about my marriage and what's going on there. And sometimes I even get into self-pity parties. But 90% of the time, I'm uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm about to get into a whole bunch of bull crap statistics. But I'm way more less angry, if that makes sense, than I used to be. I'm way more peaceful. I'm way more happy. I'm way more loving. I'm way more able to let go of things. I'm way more able to affect change for others than I could have. And it's all about taking responsibility and making decisions that were better for myself and better for my family. I do want to talk on this one that I just saw Laura put up about asking for help. And I appreciate, Laura, you coming out and sharing your story here. Also, as far as ask for help, a lot of people won't. It was so hard even to acknowledge it to someone else that wouldn't have said, I think my husband is abusing me. I did ask for counseling, but I didn't ask people to come watch, to give hugs, to change things, whatever. Um, that's, hey, Mike and Marsha. I think it's probably just Mike, but yeah. Hey, Mike. Um, yeah, you know, uh, there are definitely different situations. And that's something that I call out now because there are people who like drama. And if you come to me, and I'm going to use Laura for an example, but even though she, I didn't know her at the time. But if you come to me and say, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what's going on, and we openly talk in a safe environment, and we narrow it down to, no, absolutely, from a professional, being a paramedic, point of view, you know, we haven't dealt with ins and outs of houses and seeing different relationships. And from a personal experience point of view, your husband is abusing you and you need to change it. And she goes, no, you know, I'm good. Okay. Wait a minute. I thought you said you needed help. I thought you had, you know, uh, there've been people who talked about abusive relationships and, and how they're being spied on and, and it's like, wait, but you're, we're, you're being offered legitimate help. You're being told, call the police by professionals who are not in law enforcement because we, you know, as medics, we don't have the law to be able to enforce it, but we have the knowledge to say, no, you're being, you need to call the cops. I will help you move. I will have, and now uh, you, know, you make up excuse after excuse, either you're not actually being abused, you like drama or there's something else going on. And I can't help you until you want to help yourself. So to my story about mental health and about our industry. I have never once seen a single call. I'm talking about my experience. So understand this whole thing is going to be my personal journey through EMS. How I handled the demons or well, failed to handle them. How I had a breakdown what I did to recover from that and how I moved forward. Okay. So I, I, I understand as we listen to the story, see, that's the other thing about asking for help. When, when somebody asks you for help, instantly it hits your filters. So if you have that same damage and you're scared and you're feeling helpless, it will freak you out when somebody asks for that kind of help. I'm telling you some of the best help is just to go, Hey, I am there too. I'm absolutely there too, and I'm struggling, and I want to keep my marriage, and I want to stay happy with my first wife and my only wife. That was me. Um, or if it, you know, if you've made mistakes, admit that you made mistakes in your past marriages and change those things. I want to stay happy with this marriage. You know, I want to, I want to 
be healthy and feel good. And you deserve to feel good. You do. We all do. I mean, I hate when somebody calls me a hero and it takes a different person to do what you do. Yeah, yeah, it does. But it doesn't. And if we're going to be hero worship, don't we deserve to feel good? Yeah, I bet you a majority of people in this field do not feel good about their jobs, do not feel good about themselves, don't feel like they get enough sleep on any given day, definitely don't eat enough, don't work out enough, aren't healthy enough. There's a huge, I mean, I'm telling you, just look at the people in the ambulance. Obesity runs rampant through our industry, and I am one of them. Lack of sleep, dark sense of humor. Now, dark sense of humor can keep you alive. It can. But there's a lot of negativity to some of that. Um, just, just, we need help. So, I understand that on the other side, when you ask for help and somebody's, and you're sitting there as the person being asked, we're all damaged. And it's, it's you just got to keep asking. I'm going to be straight up honest. If you want to survive, you have to keep talking until somebody listens. And then you have to look for answers without knowing what those answers are going to be. And that's the biggest thing in change and in getting your health is you don't need to know what your life looks like beyond this. You just need to know there's a life beyond whatever this is. So I jumped into EMS with my own demons, my own baggage. As I said, I'd hit that suicide crossroads when I was probably 15, 14, 15 years old. And I grew up in a church home and there was a thing that happened in my childhood where a church basically threw us out of our house. And that's a whole long story. I've told it. Uh, you can go to rockgodapodcasting.com. There's about 50 episodes of stories I've told that's in there somewhere uh, in detail. Um, but I grew up believing the church is here to take care of people. I believed everything I was taught in church. Jesus is love. And he is here to help people. And the church is here to help people. And I saw that contradiction constantly of the actual anger and hate that was in the churches I was in. And then when I was 12 years old, I got thrown out of my house. My whole family did. We got put on the street by this church. And that shattered my world. It was deeply traumatizing. I would never compare it to physical or an emotional abuse by a parent because I've never been there. But it was deeply traumatizing. It, it took everything I believed and shattered it, threw it out in a way that I actually never came back from. You know, I still have massive problems with churches now and most of the people in them. Because it's that same answer of when you ask for help, I'll pray for you. Okay, thanks for telling me to go kill myself. That's awesome. So I hit that, that road of I just felt isolated, felt alone. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I kept conflicting with my parents. They just didn't understand. Well, they didn't understand because there wasn't any true honest communication back and forth. My parents never, through my childhood, admitted they were scared, admitted their weaknesses. That is something I've tried to change with my kids. It was just a fight because if I brought something or if something came out of my behavior because of this isolationist feel, because of this still dark trauma that, that, that I barely got talked to about because it was traumatic for my parents. 
It was traumatic for my father, who got fired from that church, who had to go and and find another way to provide to get another church. It was traumatic for my mother. It was, you know, they were dealing with their own trauma, and the hardest part of dealing with your own trauma is trying to help somebody else deal with theirs. But I am telling you, after doing it a bunch of different times, that is the best way to deal with it. That's why in critical incidences, we have a critical incident stress debriefing where everybody involved is there with people who weren't. So the people who weren't can walk you through the emotions, but you're sharing this joint experience and you start saying, I'm not alone. Number one, I am not alone. And that can keep you from killing yourself is understanding that. And that's the hardest thing to understand when you, your truth is you're alone. I went and looked at this Battalion Chief's Facebook page and because I've been through this and because the person I was looking at with, she's been through this. We saw, now I didn't know this guy. I'd never heard of him until, of course, out of the conference, you know, comes a word from people there, you know, he killed himself. I don't even know his name now. I mean, and somebody else found the page. We looked through it, but the signs were all there. Every post for the last two to three weeks were a cry for help. Everyone. And he felt alone. I could read that in his post. He felt alone. Number one, statistically speaking, you can never be alone. You can never be the only person in this world to ever feel like the way you're feeling. Because there's just too many people here in this world. And I'm going to tell you something. Pain is a universal language. And even if I don't go through the same pain you went through, I have dealt with pain. I've dealt with deep scarring trauma. I have dealt with things that... Honestly, nobody should have to deal with. And that's true for most pain that we carry with us. However you define that. You are not alone. And if you understand that, you can start to get help. And that will play into my story later. But I felt alone as a teenager. I felt isolated. I felt like nobody could know this. And Mike says, I, I know him well. Um, you know, Mike, if you want to, I, I, this really isn't about that specifically. It's about how we get help. But if you want to share some ideas of how, in retrospect, you think you could have helped that battalion chief, I would love to have those ideas. Not saying it's ever your fault, not calling out any kind of, of a blame. Because that's the problem. That's the other problem with talking about this mental health is there's a blame to it, right? There's a, oh, my God, you tell somebody to get over it. And I hear you, I will punch you in the face. I had a friend of mine recently, he said his dad died. He's had a lot of life happen to him. And he's still actually a really happy person. He's still really up and doing things. But it's a struggle some days for him. Because his dad, he's adopted. And this is a, it was his adopted father who died. And it meant the world to him that this man and woman in his life picked him instead of had him. And they raised him well. And they were tight and close. And even though his, his father was older and they kind of, I mean, you never see it coming unless it's a, no, you've been getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I don't think that was the case. But he knew a while back he didn't have a ton of time left with his father. It still rocked his world. And he went to his job recently and something happened and he had a panic attack. And people were telling him just to get over it. Are you kidding me? Shut up. If you've got nothing helpful to say, which I pretty much guarantee you don't, shut up in those moments. All you need to do is be there. All that person needs to know is they are not alone and that it does get better. And if you could just say, hey, take your time. 
I have, I, I am here for you. I can help you. It's okay. It will be okay. And it's okay to feel that way. Validate their feelings. It's okay to feel the panic you're feeling right now for whatever reason. It's okay to be sad or angry or to feel like you're alone. But I'm sitting right here next to you telling you, you are not alone. That's the only good thing you can say. Beyond that, shut up. Because you're not helping. I, I, Laura, I, I love this answer. I want to get a program started for folks with depression, anxiety, PTSD, and the horses. Laura has a horse uh, rehabilitation. Uh, it's it's a rehabilitation center that uses horses. So it is what she's talking about, how you can go out to where she is outside of Athens and uh, horse therapy, those kind of things. Uh, she's been working on for a long time. Um. Yeah, you know, Mike, you make a good point. As medics, we don't ask for help because we're there to help. That's got to change. And that's why I want to, I, I really got to dive more into my story. I want to sit here and talk forever and not share my story because I believe it's important to get the, the dirt out into the light, to get the dirt, because all we do is hide. Uh, there's people I worked with that I didn't know had issues ever until they're honest about it. And that's the thing we don't talk about it enough. I believe, before I forget my point and get deep in my story, I believe that major ambulance services that can afford it, I think all should do it, but not all can afford it. But I think the big ones, like Gwinnett Fire, uh, AMR, uh, uh, Grady, the ones that service a lot of areas and run a lot of call volume, you need to have a therapist, a counselor on staff. And just like with police forces, after certain events happen or you start seeing changes in behavior, mandatory counseling if you want to stay on the street, if you want to keep your job. In a major way, because Jesus Christ, we have too many people killing themselves. Too many people getting a divorce and losing everything that's worth living for. Because I try to get a little dark on my students here at the school. I try to tell them, okay, yeah, we can save lives, and there's this rule number one that we can't always stop death. You're here at the school. Rule number two is we do our best to do that. But I'm going to tell you from my experience, we're here for the living, period, because that's a better way for me to look at it because there's so many people who have died on me. And I started off with this story starting to say, I have never once seen a single call that broke me. You know, I've had calls that bothered me, but they it was the buildup of, of the calls. It's the buildup of I should have done something different. It's the buildup of I'm here to save lives, and I'm losing lives left and right because the six-year-old who was obese and doesn't take their heart medication had a heart attack and pretty much was dead before I got there. Can't do anything about that. Uh, the gunshot victim who's bleeding out that I'm going to do everything I can, but it's, it's a fairly hopeless cause unless you're lying on the table right now. And even then, who knows you lose a lot of life in this field and it builds on you. If you think you're here to save lives, I like what Mike said. We are here to help. Uh, Daniel says no one that hasn't gone through depression or anything like that doesn't ask for help because they don't know how to do it. Absolutely. And that's why I think we need counselors. That's why I think we need, uh, for lack of better words, motivational people in our trucks who will talk like I will talk and will say, no, it's, it's okay to be there. It's okay to feel angry after that call. You know, uh, uh, I think there was a complaint department in, in cities before called the ombudsman where you could just file complaints with the paper or whatever's going on. 
it needs to be like that, but just somewhere to to just talk and say this call bothered me. I had I had a call right outside of my station in Conyers on this really really bad curve that uh, the person was going too fast, didn't see the people stopped, veered, went off the curve into this massive ravine, and it's right there in Culpeper. Uh, not Culpeper. It's right there. Uh, Culpeper is where the station was. It's um, whatever that Parker. It's on Parker Road. And um, and I got the call, and I was there. And the mom, or the two adults, got out. Were out of the car. The baby was still strapped in. He was eighteen months, maybe less than that, and was strapped into the the car seat. But because, unfortunately, through sheer ignorance, the car seat wasn't secured correctly in the car. That car seat went into the windshield. And it bothered me, knowing there's nothing I could do for this baby. But what bothered me more is fully believing that they were absolutely believing they were trying to do everything for their kid to be safe. And it wasn't. And that child died. And it was stuff like that that builds up. And had I been able to go and talk about it like I can right now and say, this is going on. Have somebody okay, walk me through the medicine. What could you do? Why? Here's what I did. X, Y, Z. I did everything I could with the medicine. Okay, so you know mentally the medicine is there, and you did everything you could. Why are you still feeling bad? Well, because da da da. And walk me through that. That's all it takes to truly listen to somebody. It's just ask questions and let them answer it. That's what the year of counseling that I took did. 70 percent was me answering the questions that the counselor asked and walking through the story and having them just point out, okay, you just said this, but you also said this. So what do you truly believe? What's really going on with you? And then the other 40%, 30% is here's how to get help. Uh, Kimberly uh, Moore Littleton says, Charles, I want to come speak to your audience about how we can all work together to address a bunch of issues at play. I would love that, Kimberly. Uh, let me pop up my email address right now. Um. Uh, there you go. So you can email me there, and we will line that up, Kimberly. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, so as a teenager, felt alone, felt separated, had my whole world shattered. Took me forever to get over it. Uh, but I decided I wasn't going to kill myself. You know, I was going to hurt the people who hurt me and hurt everybody else that got in the way. And I did a lot of pain growing up, uh, coming through those times. I'm surprised that I didn't get shot or taken out. I mean, I was an asshole. I was a loud mouth. Um, I mean, if you've heard me now and how, I mean, even now I'm telling, I'm very blunt about things and I'm aggressive about things that are passionate to me. Take off the years of experience that have taught me how to say things better. that have taught me, this is where you make a stand and this is where you don't slap an 18 year old on that. It's not a good day. Um, I'm surprised my marriage worked, you know, and it almost didn't. I had to get counseling, but that was the thing. I found something to hold on to that a lot of people in our field seem to lose when they get to that point where they want to kill themselves is I found a woman who loved me no matter what I did to push her away, no matter how much of the darkness I showed her. Yeah, we had fights, we had issues and I had to get help, but she never, ever once got scared or backed off. Not once. She never went, oh, my God, I don't know how to deal with you. And that is what I needed to hold on through the darkest of times to say no matter what, she's worth being here. And, yeah, if it had gotten to a point where 
And I'm going to talk about how I saved my marriage by fighting her in it. But if it got to a point where I just shut her out of everything, and that's what a lot of these divorces come from, from my opinion, from my my viewpoint, is that's where a lot of these divorces in our field come from. Uh, sorry, two things are up on my screen here. There we go. Is that 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 we got to keep it bottled up? We can't talk about it. I don't because I didn't want my wife to feel the way I felt about certain calls that I handled. I didn't want her to carry that darkness. So what did I do? I shut her out and didn't talk about work. So what did I do? I talked about the fun things at work. Oh, my partner this, my partner that, my partner this. Except my partner was a fairly attractive female who was with me for 24 to 48 hours. So that started messing with my marriage. Of All you ever do is talk about your partner. I'm tired of hearing about your partner because I'm jealous. I mean, that was a short version is you're making me jealous. Okay. What other fun there was some fun stuff, but there's heaviness to what we do. But the key to heaviness, when you go to lift a, a dresser or you go to lift this table or that desk behind me, is to have somebody help lift it with you. Sure, I can pick up most of this furniture in this room. I'm 6'7", 340 pounds. I'm a big dude. I can pick up a lot of things, but there's things I can't pick up on my own or I shouldn't pick up, my own, my, pick up on my own. And this, this darkness is one of those things. The trauma, uh, the depression, the, the, and, and there's chemical depression. And you can take medicine for that. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the emotional stuff. And when somebody goes, well, it's just in your head. All right, yes, but shut up. All right, because when you say it's just in your head, one, that's dismissive. And it throws me out. Two, it is, it makes it feel like and sound like I'm just making it up. When I say it's in your head, I'm thinking it's your thought processes. It's the inner voice. It's what you're focused on. And you have to talk to somebody about it. Because I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, hell, I'll go 99 times out of 100 when you talk about what you think something's so horrible. And somebody goes, okay, I've been there. Yeah, I got you. The burden's lifted. When somebody goes, that's, that's man, that's not that horrible. Let, let's let's talk about why you think it's that horrible. It's that help of lifting. It's all of a sudden you feel better. Sometimes just talking about something without anybody saying anything, just to be able to put it out loud, changes it from the crap that you're thinking about inside your head to, wow, okay, hearing that out loud, it, it just sounds so much different. I'll take it to a positive way. I tell a lot of jokes. I tell a lot of jokes. I love telling jokes. And I say, I tell so many jokes. Most of them don't work. And there's even a few that the second I say it out loud, it's in my head, I'm laughing. The second I say it out loud, I'm like, huh, that's not nearly as funny as I thought it was. That's the positive to this. But to the dark side of it, it it's so much. It is so much. Thanks, Mike, for coming around. Um, it, it is so much not that bad. So let me talk about my marriage and how I saved it by fighting. And I mean, I was brutal I, because I was tearing apart myself, tearing apart my wife. We would have our ups and downs like any good marriage does, especially at the beginning. And you're getting used to living with each other. You're getting changing the cohabitating. You're, you're doing all these things. And you both bring stuff into the marriage, right? You bring how you were raised, how they were raised, the, the damage you have, the baggage. And anytime anything I didn't want to deal with popped up. Now, I didn't do this consciously. I didn't go, well, screw you. You're going to hit that button. I'm going to hit. No, it's something we do unconsciously, subconsciously. 
And anytime something that would come up and her that triggered that weakness in me, that fear in me, I would just demand that she does, she change her behavior. And here's how you fix that. And here's how, and somebody, you know, it's that grade school thing. If you point at somebody, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. Well, that's the truth. Right. And one night we fought, I've told this story many, many times, but one night we started fighting at like six, seven o'clock and it was just ugly. And about midnight, we kind of wound it down. It's like, let's just go to bed, turn off the lights. And it just kept going. So we fought in the dark to about three in the morning and it was just everything on the table. This is it. We're, this, you know what? No holes barred. And we built up to that because we had fights and then we had good times and we had fights and we had good times. And if you shy away from the fights, if you're like, oh, we can't, we can't fight. It'll destroy the marriage. You will destroy your marriage. If you shy away from saying what you feel about what's really going on and then you get yourself into a darker position, uh, you will destroy your life. You will destroy your career. You will end up hanging yourself or eating a gun or taking pills, whatever your, your choice is. Because you see no way out of it. And it is your choices that got you there. It is keeping it in your head instead of talking to somebody that got you there. And I'm talking from experience. And I'm about to share that experience. I, I keep reinforcing I am going to share that experience. Because I understand I, I talk too much. But this is super important to me. This is super important to the community that we share these things. So let me stop preaching and let me start getting back into my story. So we fought till three in the morning and burned out all the energy. And I thought we were done. I thought she's going to walk out of that door. And I can tell you, there's been points in times in my life where if my wife walked out on me, that's it for this world. It's, 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 I cannot abide or imagine her sleeping with somebody else. That's, that's for a long time. I took my value from her love of me which is a bad place to be taking your value from somebody else is a bad place to be. You have to have value inside yourself. But I took that value from her. That would, that helped me get to where I could take value for myself, but taking value from her, put too much pressure on her. And that put a lot of pressure on our marriage. And we fought till three in the morning and everything was burned out. And then this one time in life, I went, you know what? I'm tired of hurting her. I am tired of destroying. I knew, I, I realized in, in what was going on, she's not listening to me and something clicked and said, but I'm not listening to her. I want to feel listened to so badly that I cannot even give it to her because the emotions started to burn down and, and rational thought starts to play in. And so we get there and we're in the darkness. It's 3 a.m. And I don't remember, I think I said, so what now? And in this one moment in life, even today, if, if, if I will do anything I have to do to fix my marriage, because I'll be damned if she goes to some other man and lives with them and they treat them better. I am, I am not so egotistical that I think that I am right, that she is wrong and she can walk out. Hell no. I'll do whatever it takes to fix that marriage. And I've done a lot of things in my life, giving up what I thought I needed to keep what I wanted and realized I got what I wanted all along by doing that. You know, I love to talk. I'm on this show. I am talking to you right now through a podcast or through a Facebook video or on YouTube. And years ago, I gave up. I gave up. 
the idea of podcasting my way to keep my marriage. And yet here I am running this show, running a network called Giant Size Team Up, uh, speaking at places, running the DragonCon digital media track. I'm doing so much more than I ever did before because I gave up what I thought I needed to be me. I let go of the ego and went, no, the only thing that matters in this life, number one, is my marriage. Because nothing else matters. If my kids and my wife run around to celebrate my victories and to help me through the hard times, and knowing that she got me through a lot of the hard times, then what else matters? So you got that's maybe point number two. Point number one is you're never alone. You just aren't. You're not the only person who feels that way. Number two is you got to have something worth holding on to, and you got to make it more important than yourself. Oh, your wife wants you to quit being a firefighter, and that's all you've ever wanted to be. What's more important, being a firefighter and getting a divorce? is more important. That doesn't mean you're going to kill yourself. That just means, okay, maybe you married the wrong person. Or what's more important, having a happy marriage and a partner to share life with and somehow and, and taking your bliss from there and working whatever job it takes. I don't know. Only you can answer that. But having something worth holding on to that will be there for you and that will matter will keep you from killing yourself. So we, we burn out things. I asked her, what now? And in this one moment, I would have been okay with her leaving me because I realized how much damage I was doing to her, how much I felt hurt and destroyed and realizing half of that was me doing it to myself. The other half was triggering her to do it to me. I'm talking about internal, emotional, dark, depression damage. And realizing how much I was hurting her. And I was just tired. I was tired. I felt like I went from clenching my fists to relaxing. I was tired of hurting her because I truly loved my wife. Still married to her today, by the way. Happy ending. We're, you know, almost 20 years in. This was year three, two or three, early on. So I said, what happened? What now? And she said, and I'm paraphrasing because it's an awesome quote that I feel like actually happened, but in reality, it probably was something more simple than this. But the answer was, I don't know. No matter what happens in here with this, we got to stop this because I'm tired of this. We can't keep hurting each other. But out there without you is worse than this. But we have to fix this. Done. And I started going to counseling. And I, I went on, uh, John, not necessarily. So John brings up a point about, I was talking about, um, you know, leaving your job for your wife. John says, but you will resent her for that. It depends on why you're choosing it. And that comes down to what really, really matters is why are you choosing it? Because it's just what they want. How many conversations are you having openly and honestly about it? How many times are you saying, I will do this to show what I can do. When I lost my uh, good, well, best paying in my life job at CardioNet, sitting in an office, reading Holter monitors, and I got laid off. I did air. I tried to push my company uphill. I, I got some, some jobs that I did uh, uh, recording sessions for, you know, podcasting stuff, digital media stuff. But I needed more to pay. And my wife was stuck on, you just go get a job, anything. She would literally say to me, and just take anything. And I'm like, that won't work. I know the realities of life. We have four kids and a house. And I know that won't work. I know that taking a minimum wage job will not pay the bills. Period. I really need something that I know will work better. And she kept saying, just take anything. So, John, 
what I did was I took anything because I wanted to show her how much I am dedicated to taking care of number one, which is family. And number two, I, she needed to see that I was one doing that, but two, that what I said was true. Taking just anything won't matter. And I worked for Publix. This is a few years ago. Uh, I guess two, well, maybe longer than a few years ago, about 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. And I went, I went to work at Publix in the deli, and the hours were messed up, man. They were so screwed up. And I'd let my, my numbers lapse, so I couldn't go get back on the ambulance. I didn't, at the time, I didn't want to get back on the ambulance for any reason. And I, 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 I love serving people. I, I have no problem with customer interaction and making people laugh. Uh, but Publix has a double standard. They say the customer's number one, and here's how we treat people, and then they don't in practice. That's that's realities that I saw there. The second thing that really got to me was, again, I'm a tall guy. I'm six foot seven, and I had to wash dishes. I'm not above washing dishes, except when I'm physically above it, where the sink is at my – the top of the sink is at my belt line. So I'm hunched over to get down deep into this two-foot sink, an industrial sink, I'm hurting, physically hurting my back all the time. When they have shorter, better people who could do that, and I can lift the grease traps and take them out. I can stock the stuff that's super high. I can lift heavy trash bags, but you have me doing the dishes, and I did it. And I physically hurt myself over, over that constantly. And until my wife said, I get it, you can quit. And I said, good, because I will do anything I can. I mean, I'm driving Lyft. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But I will do this for as long as it takes for you to understand I am doing everything I can for the family. So there was no resentment, John. It's about why you choose to do it. Yes, if it's just because she said so, maybe you aren't talking enough. Maybe you don't understand, they don't understand where you're coming from. Maybe you don't understand where they're coming from. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I have my experience, and my experience has been every time I've chosen to take care of my family, it has worked out way better for me and it's got me to a healthy mental place so let me go back to the fight so she didn't walk out we we're going to fix it went to counseling i was still in ems and there were there were just so many things i carried with me i didn't feel loved i still didn't feel like anybody understood me i didn't connect with a lot of the people around me uh on a personal level there was just so much going on there that i just carried this darkness and carried this darkness and ultimately had a call that just put too much weight on me because I made excuses. Again, when I say this stuff's in your head, this was in my head. I Here were my rules when I was on EMS. This is what kept me sleeping at night and getting up the next day is I do the best job possible. And I still try to do that. And I always try to do the best job possible, period. Secondly, old people die because they're old. You, uh, uh, you know, Bodies that are damaged from heart disease or liver disease or, or just years of, of bad living – die because of that trauma victims die because of trauma so there's there's nothing i can do for those so those are excusable those are explainable and then i got a call that was truly unexplainable i got a 12 year old kid who stopped climbing up a, a climbing wall he was spotted he was halfway up he didn't fall there's no bee stings there's nothing to explain why he died he just stopped climbing they started to lower him down safely a nurse the camp nurse happened to be there at that moment Instantly started CPR. Inst I mean, he wasn't 30 seconds down of just stop climbing. Stop. Just instantly just stopped. No struggle, no nothing. Just stopped and went dead weight. He wasn't breathing, didn't have a pulse. She started CPR. The fire truck got there. 
AD shock two or three times before we get there. We get there within five minutes. Maybe not five minutes. Maybe it was a little bit longer than that. They shocked at least two times before we got there. But it was delivering its shock right as we pulled up. So we, the fire trucks got there fast. A nurse was on scene already. We got there fast. Did everything by the book. Nothing said this kid should be dead. And he died. And that's what mentally broke me at that point because I had no more excuses. So see, my illustration here is I was making reasons why the darkness was there. I was making reasons to hold on to it. And I'm okay with this other stuff. And I wasn't. And I wasn't talking to people about how I felt. I wasn't talking to people why I was an asshole or why I said the stuff I did. I, there was nobody who talked to talk to about it. Uh, because you start talking to somebody and they'd make fun of you. They would tease you. Um, there were issues. And so on that call, I did have trouble sleeping. I did have trouble with, with moments. And I did go to somebody in my work and talk to them saying, I need help. And they said, I can't help you, but here. And they made phone calls, got me basically a critical stress counselor, gave me a company vehicle so I didn't even have to drive my own gas, took me off the truck. Because I was on the truck at that time. I was like, look, I'm struggling. I need to talk to somebody. And within an hour, I was talking to somebody. So that was help that was given. But I had to go to them. Nobody came to me. Nobody saw that I wasn't talking nearly as much, that I wasn't making jokes, that I was myself from people. These are things we got to look out for. We have to if we want our brothers and sisters in this field to stay alive. To say, hey, man, how come you're not hanging out at the smoking table? I never smoked. Well, I didn't never smoke. I smoked a little bit. But I wasn't a smoker. But the smoking table is where you hung out, especially in the nice weather like we're finally having today. You'd hang out and talk to people. Hey, how come you're not hanging out with us? Hey, how come you're never coming to eat with us? Your partner. Hey, how come when we get back to the station, you disappear on me all the time? We don't want to call that out because we feel like we need to give people space. We feel like we need to be nice to people. And that's a societal bullshit. Nice kills people. Being nice is what I mean by, hey, you know what? He just had a rough call the other day. I'm going to give him some space. Hey, when I started to say something to him, he snapped at me. Do I normally snap at people? No, that's not who I am. So if I snapped at you, isn't that a little odd? Now, this is the part that my wife did for me, that, that we have to learn to toughen up and do for other people. I'll do it for other people all day long. It's, it's the animal who is hurt, the puppy, the little dog who is hurt, and you want to help them. They bite you. Or they try to bite you. They snap at you. We've rescued a dog recently from the pound who was an older dog. And very quickly found out that, well, because he's older, he startles a little bit easier. And he'll bump you. And sometimes he bought. And, and I am not an animal person. I, I, I believe in all life being sacred and, and we should help all life. But if I were left to my own devices, I wouldn't have a pet. I have no need of one. My wife absolutely needs a fur baby. So, okay. We made that compromise. She gets it, but I, I expect from my kids, I expect from my visitors, I expect from animals that live in my house, you respect the chain of command and authority here, and I am that, and so this dog, we're trying to teach him this art, and, and I gave you that mindset to tell you I still pay attention, and this is a great 
way you look at your partner. Know who your partner is. Know how they are. And ask them the hard questions and let them try to bite you. Because sometimes you need to bite somebody verbally or emotionally before you can actually get past what you're protecting yourself from and actually talk about it. Sometimes that's how we test the waters to see is it okay to talk about life. And so this dog... I did something, I was trying to move him gently, and he turned and he bit me, except he didn't. He put his teeth on me and very lightly closed down twice out of a panic, oh crap mode. Never once actually bit me. And I hauled back to hitting, because I'm not going to tolerate an animal biting me. Violence begets violence. It's not going to happen in my house. And I hauled back to hit him and I realized, wait a minute. And I'm talking about split second, realized he didn't bite me. And my wife's like, oh my God, are you okay? What? You know, I'm like, nope. We're good because now I know he's just freaking out. And I don't, I don't, we could get into a discussion about blah, 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 animal bites and those kind of things. My point is you as a partner, you as somebody in EMS, the counselor that needs to be there, the captains that are there, you need to get to know people in your shift so you see the differences. And when you see the differences, you ask for it. You talk to them. I had a partner who, who at first didn't want to talk about how his marriage was crumbling. And then we did. And I broke down because we got in some kind of fight. And I broke down to him because he, at that time, he was my last bastion. This is before I met my wife. He was the only thing keeping me that he had put in some belief into me. He had shown that he believes in me as a human being and started peeling away the crap I was doing and started teaching me the right ways to do it. And then he started shutting me out. And I broke down crying at the station with him one day because we got in some fight. And I was like, because I was at my wits end. I was like, I'm losing everything. You're, and then he started crying. And then we started talking about his life. And he finally got to talk to somebody without judgment, without worry about the shit that was going on in his marriage. Now, I was still 19, 20, 21 years old at the time. And so I wasn't experienced or old enough to give him any kind of advice. But I was there to listen without judgment. And we needed that. Uh, Laura says horses can't say, ouch, my belly hurts. She's she talking about how she works with horses and this and that and the other, uh, how people show how they feel. Horses can't say, ouch, my belly hurts. They pin their ears. They snap. They kick at us. They aren't allowed to bite either. You have to watch your reactions. Sometimes you got to poke where it hurts to find the spot where it is and how bad it is. And I'm going to add to that and understand you might get hurt in the process, but you're doing it to help. What do we do as medics? We go in and we lay belly down on freaking I-20 in 100-degree heat to intubate a patient, to get them out of a car. We hurt ourselves to help others to an extent. We put our health at risk. We put our sleep at risk. We put our sanity at risk to help other people. So we're used to getting hurt to help. So why are we so afraid to get hurt by our partner or by somebody we work with? Because I'm telling you, the only thing that got through to me was somebody saying, you can be an asshole all day long. My wife, number one, but other people in my life, it wasn't just her, other people in my life went, you can be an asshole all day long, I'm still here to help you. And if you want to be an asshole alone, that is your choice. And they, she verbalized that to me. And I had other people verbalize that to me. Saying, I'm not going to put up with your shit. If you want to be an asshole alone, understand that is your choice that you're making. I'm trying to help you. It woke me up. It changed my path. So let me talk about the breakdown. So after I got some help for the kid, other stuff was going on. Life was building up. And I don't have a very clear timetable of all this stuff, but life was building up. And my wife and I were fighting 
So hard. Just because we had that one fight and we said out there is worse did not fix us. Did not fix me individually. Did not fix her individually. It just set us on the path. We still had lots of fights and lots of mistakes to make to hurt each other. And we did. So we were in that moment where we were fighting. It was at the holidays. And, you know, I'm making mistakes with my money. She's making mistakes with the money. We're stressed out about buying gifts. We're stressed out about our families doing stuff and, and things are happening and, and stuff's going on. And for whatever reason, she and I got in this fight on this way to this Christmas party. It's a company Christmas party. And I'm on the way there and we're just fighting. And I'm raging. I don't even know what she said. I don't know why I was so angry at her. I don't know why I was so angry at the world. I it's all I remember things in colors. Okay, sometimes when it's like this, I remember details about things, but sometimes I just remember colors and it was just dark and angry. It was just black, that darkest red you can get, mostly black is all I can remember. And I remember I'm driving to this party and I do not remember why we started fighting, but we started fighting and I'm raging. And uh, I've always said, I'll, I'll make it clear here, when I'm loud, everything's fine, you're safe. I'm a loud person. I love loud, I laugh loud, and I yell loud. And I get angry. And I will chew an ass in a heartbeat if it needs chewing. And I'm just super loud and imposing and intimidating. But I've told my kids over and over again, it's when I get quiet that the trouble begins. And I found that out with me in the few fights that I've ever had is there's yelling, there's yelling. When I get quiet, and I've told my partners this, and it's proven to be true many times. And uh, there was an incident on the truck where this person was very aggressive and they look like they're going to attack us. And I very quietly told my partner to go get in the truck. And she did because I told her this principle when I'm loud, everything's good. When I'm quiet, shit's about to go down. It's because all of a sudden I shut down and I'm thinking how I'm going to destroy this next, this person. And I've never had to physically destroy somebody, but that's where it is. That's that warning sign. But I also know that to be true for myself, like something's not right here. And I'm yelling, and she's yelling, so we're fine. We're yelling, but I'm raging, I'm raging, I'm raging, I'm raging. And I'm getting to this party, and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to go into this party. Because I don't pretend. I am horrible at pretending and hiding my feelings. So you're going to see anger and hurt and fight and stuff's not right all over my face at this Christmas party. My wife is better at pretending than I am, but I don't know what she's going to do. And, I mean, we literally pull into the parking lot screaming and yelling. And I get out of the truck or whatever it is I was driving screaming and yelling. And she's not going to go into the party. Here's a mistake that we often make as human beings in this world. What the feeling the you, quoting fingers, somebody outside of yourself. What the person outside of yourself does reflects on me. It has nothing to do with you, asshole. And that's part of the truth, too, is some of this depression that we hold on to, some of this darkness we hold on to, we're trying to be an asshole. That's a hard truth there. Get help. Talk to somebody. Know that's your choices so you can change those choices right now. And start, I'm telling you from experience, I'm getting to the end of the story. I'm telling you from experience, you can change the choices. You can choose life. You can choose happiness. You can choose a better step. You can choose to love yourself and stop hating yourself because ultimately that's what it comes down to. We've lost everything in life. We hate ourselves more than anybody else could ever hate us. We've done things that nobody could ever forgive us for because we can't forgive ourselves for. And the only way we see out is suicide. Stop hating yourself. 
You're an asshole for doing that. Stop thinking that what somebody else does outside of you reflects on you. You reflect on you. But I did that in this moment. You know, she's not coming in. It reflects on how am I going to explain it? And I think I yelled at her to get out of the car in the open parking lot in front of people. I'm screaming at her to get out of the car. She's not. I get back in. And then we had pagers at the time. And a friend of mine who's at the party starts paging me to see if things are okay or whatever. Uh, and I'm, we're driving home. And we're still fighting. And I think, I honestly can't fully remember. But I remember going, I need to stop fighting. As I, as I, we, I think I verbalized that. Honestly, I can't remember. But it came to a point where I'm scaring myself. Because I'm starting to feel that break happen. And here's how it looks inside your own head. You're in the moment, you're raging, you're fighting, and then you start stepping back and somebody else is raging and fighting. And I don't mean outside the body. I mean inside my head and went, oh, shit. And then I go from raging to quiet to you need to and then back to raging. And there's a same part of my brain that I'm just watching this happen. And I go, oh, shit. This is not good. And inside screaming inside my own head going, we have to stop this now. Something bad is about to happen. We have to stop. And I couldn't stop it. And she had enough of my shit in life at that point. She was done with my shit. And she, so she just came at me and came at me. And I know, I know at one point I said, please stop. We have to stop. And that was one of those quiet moments, which is scary as fuck. Because when I'm loud, I'm okay. But I'm quiet, begging her to stop right now. And that is not a good place to be. And we go in the house. And she's still coming at me. And I still rage and quiet. And, rage, and, and I'm done at this point. I have no control over what's happening. I am watching this happen in my own head. And I just, this horrible noise comes out of me. That I'm watching happen. And there was this table. There's this table in our kitchen. And I just I just swept it off. Because I'm like, I'm screaming, stop. And, and I saw it coming. And she just kept coming. And I don't blame her. I'm being very clear about why she kept coming. Because she was tired of my shit. She was tired of me putting all my shit on her. And blaming her. And attacking her. And yeah, some of her own issues probably came out. But I'm taking responsibility. Because you take responsibility. Because it's your choices that got you there and the only way to change it the only way to save your own life is to understand you have to choose better maybe you married the wrong person you have to choose to let that person go and hopefully you'll see your kids but you have to choose life maybe the job you're in is killing you because you're choosing to work for low pay you have to choose life and sometimes it is our fault and in this case I can look back and realize I'd put so much on her not handling my own damage, not dealing with my own demons, that she was done. She was fighting for her own life. She was choosing life because she also internalizes things. We all do as human beings. The person who blames everybody else really knows deep down they are a shitty person and they are doing things wrong. And I swept the table. I'm like, stop, please. And I'm quietly, and I'm thinking in my head, this is I, what are we going to do now? And I swept the table off, screaming this horrible sound at the top, the stupid high-pitched top of my lungs. Stop. Stop. 
leave me alone. And I'm pounding the table as hard as I can. And I'm screaming. And I'm crying. And it freaked her out. As it should. Because I fucking broke. And then I slid down the table. And I crawled underneath it. And I don't know how long I was there. And she's crying, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Can I help you? And I, I had to say, don't touch me. Leave me alone. I'm screaming at her, which which broke her. It, we Both of us broke that day. I just had a mental and emotional breakdown. It changed. It broke her mentality to see how damaged I was. And none of it was her fault. Be clear about that. There's actually no fault. None of it was my fault. Choices to not talk. Choices led us to this thing. And then choices later led me out of it. But I'm under the table and I don't know what to do. I am I am broken. And I told her, eventually as I could start to come around, I told her two people, two or three people to call from where I worked. None of them could help me. They all made excuses. Oh, I was drinking at the party. Oh, this this is going. I saw nobody I worked with came to help. Nobody wanted to even sit on the phone and say be okay. And literally in that darkest moment, in that breakdown, all I needed was one person who I thought I could relate to, who who understood the field. All I needed was one person to say, it'll be okay. And nobody showed up in the field to tell me it'd be okay. I'm telling you from that moment to now, it will be okay. If you're in that moment, take the help that somebody's giving you. Talk to somebody about it. She ended up calling my best friend who drove hour and a half to my house and ultimately became the middle of the night. Cause she wanted to help me as best she could. She wanted, I don't remember if I asked her if she wanted a neutral party. I don't remember, but he drove us to the hospital cause I had to talk to somebody and I went to Newton, which is now Piedmont Newton. And I talked to the counselor there and I had uh, what I now know is petechiae hemorrhaging, but I had bl- I blown blood vessels all in my forehead and in my cheeks I had smashed blood vessels in my fists, in the side of my hands. But the blood vessels were from the, from the extreme stress of screaming. I popped blood vessels in my eyes. I looked like shit. I was scary as hell. My wife was freaking out. I went to the hospital, talked to the counselor, and the counselor, he said it'd be okay. He said, look, man. You're under a lot of stress. You need to talk to somebody. My job here is to see if you're a threat to yourself or to other people and to see if you need to go for further evaluation. Are you a threat? You know, do you want to hurt yourself? I was like, no. I just need to know it's going to be okay. And he said, it is. It is going to be okay. Now, you won't believe me today, but it will be okay. And from there, the steps I took was I started being honest with my wife about what I felt, what I was going through, started talking about things. I got out of the field for a while. Ultimately, I, I changed. I left that job because I felt abandoned. 
I I can't remember if I was still going through counseling at that time, but I did marriage counseling for a good solid year, which really was personal counseling to get rid of a bunch of crap I believed and a bunch of baggage I was holding on to to see reality. Sometimes we need help seeing reality. And that, that night, both me and my wife needed help seeing reality because reality was it's me and her against the world. That's the only way it works. And for us to be fighting with each other, that's why people kill themselves. Is the only person in your life that matters is the person you're hurting the most who isn't there for you because you're hurting them and they're hurting you. Stuff's going on. And it won't always work out that way for people. It worked out for me that we broke. I physically, mentally, emotionally broke that night. But it broke her vision of who we were and instantly went to, I need to change what I'm doing to help out. I understand now that I'm a really big dog. Using that analogy of the dog that, you know, you want to help and it's biting you. When I bite, it hurts, especially to people closest to me. But that's how we saved our marriage was fighting it out. And that's the way we knew how to be honest with each other in the early days. And that sucks. Sucks hard. Dude, the only way to be honest with somebody is to fight with them until you get the, the crap out of the way and then you can talk about it. But you know what? I had to fight. Otherwise, I was going to die. My entire life changed in that breakdown. To see who was there for me and who wasn't. To see that I put too much emphasis on my job, of what I got out of my job, of the people I worked with, they weren't there for me in the literal moment that I needed them to be. The job by no means did this to me, but it was the weight and what I, how I perceived it. I needed somebody to tell me what I try to tell people now. What you do is not who you are. Understanding who you are will change everything that you do. Ultimately, I went on to some other places and worked and tried different tactics. Became, there's something to be said about not being able to change who you are and to, to grow with the people that are around you sometimes. Because you, you got so ingrained into who you were when you try to affect change. All they can see is who you were. It makes that change much harder. Sometimes you have to go to a different place to be the person that you are now. And that helped me some. I did go through some of that. And I did stay an asshole. But I did change some of my ways. I tried to provide for my family better. Still had fights with my wife. Ended up getting out of the industry and getting into the ER for a while. And that helped. And I ended up working with the counselor. Uh, at night and I ended up talking to him when I said I know you probably don't remember me because you see a whole lot of people but I told him that story and I, I, I told him about how much he helped me just by saying it'd be okay and and it helped him and his his path of how he was doing things but it was a little embarrassing to see him for the first time <laughs> over there um, but what I did was I had to find a way to let my mind let go of I'm responsible for everything and I went to the ER and did that then I had to make the hard choice to get out of the field to go make money because I filed bankruptcy. I, I, I gave up my beloved truck, which ended up, I hate trucks. I look back now, it's like, I love trucks before because that's where everybody around me drove. And that's what I somehow took the message of that I had to be like everybody else to be happy. But let me tell you something. Nobody is happy. 
the people who are getting the newest phones, the people who are buying the biggest trucks, the people, that's not what's making them happy. Now, I'm not saying they're not happy people. You can be happy people and have stuff. You can be a happy person and be broke. But sometimes it's people trying to make themselves happy but getting what they want, and that's not helping either. It put me in debt. It hurt to give up my truck. It was embarrassing to file bankruptcy and to have to give up my vehicle but protect the house that was over my wife and my child's head. It hurt to leave the field that I felt like I was called to be in, that I could help people. Because it does take a bit of a different person. It takes a person who won't go, oh, my God, that's so horrible, and let it get to you. It takes a person and go, yeah, no, you broke your leg. I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to be the person you need to get you from here to better. It takes a way to see the world differently to be that. I can see the world that way. But I had to leave that field to make money for my family but also to break down the bullshit that was in my head. Oh, uh, well, I don't want to do that. I, blah, blah, blah. No, I had to own, am I going to believe in what I say, which is I take care of my family first, which means I take care of them before I take care of me. Does it always work that way? No, but that's what kept me alive. That's what got me out from under that table when I had nothing else to live for. My job abandoned me. The people abandoned me. My wife helped me tip over that point. And I phrase it that way specifically. Because I needed to get broken because I wasn't changing the way I viewed life. The way I viewed everything. I was saying I loved her. And yeah, I was spending money I didn't have for bad habits such as Snickers and Mountain Dews. Fortunately, I never smoked cigarettes. I mean, I keep saying never. I, I was never a smoker, but yes, I have been known to smoke cigarettes. But I wasn't burning my, my money that way. But it was in other ways. I'd buy a hat that said paramedic on it just because. And we didn't have that $30 in the bank. Yeah, $30 for a stupid hat. She stayed with me and proved that for her, taking care of me was number one. And me wanting to make myself better to take care of her allow me to choose better and sometimes you need to lose everything or feel like you're losing everything to realize what's important in life i filed bankruptcy a second time i didn't learn from the first time well that's not true i lost a sixty thousand dollar a year job and went to uh what uh, employment told me would be nineteen thousand dollars a year so that was drastic change so i filed the second time because i could not afford to have my house anymore and I couldn't get a job to replace the 60000 or even 30000 at that time. I, it was tough. That's a whole other thing. But in losing, in following the first time, my priorities shifted. And that's why I took a better job. That paid me better. That was more stable for my family. To have my wife six, eight weeks and then a new job. And was, I wasn't miserable. I was okay. Because then, see, I realized I'm always going to be who I am. No matter where I am. So if I go into an office job, I'm going to be me in the office job. You just got to understand what me to you means. You have to understand who you are. And too many times, <clears throat> excuse me, too many times. And I believe, I believe one of the things that leads up to suicide in this industry and divorce in this industry is too many times we have no idea who we are. We think we're in this to save people and then people die. We think we're in this to put out fires and then houses burn to the ground. We get frustrated with the politics of the business. We get killed by the hours 
of no sleep and the stress, working two jobs to make ends meet, but then going home and not telling our spouses, our loved ones, our partners, what we're going through or what we're carrying. We're just trying to put on a happy face. And they feel that separation. The divorces I've seen go on around me in the industry that I've known to people personally have been from lack of communication, have been from people working two jobs. And honestly, in some of the cases, it's been because they love the job more than they love their wife. And they thought being an asshole and protecting themselves, and well, I got to be funny. I got to have a strong appearance around my buddies and I got to look good. It destroyed their marriages. I watched it happen. I yelled at some people and went, that's just dumb. Why are you talking to your wife who just had a baby two months ago, three months ago? She, she's still struggling with lack of sleep. She's still struggling with new baby in the house, with other kids or, or grade school level. And you're gone all the time. Why are you talking to her that way? Well, because she didn't. No, asshole. Your decisions are costing you your marriage because you're saying very clear. I can see it. And I'm just your partner. You're saying very clearly, I love me and my job more than I love you. And here's the thing John said about resentment, about quitting the job and resentment. Because uh, I said earlier, if you're just joining in, I said sometimes you, if number one is taking care of the person you love, and that's what's important to you in life, you will have to let go of whatever job that's killing that. You'll have to let go of creating podcasts and a digital media empire and doing what makes you feel like a person and what you love. You have to choose to let that go because what happens is sometimes you're actually not realizing that you're focusing on your mistress, on the person that you're cheating on your loved one with by working two jobs. But, but I'm doing it to provide for the family. If they're not happy at home, you're not providing because it takes a lot more than money to provide for a family. Well, for me, well, you know, telling my stories and changing the world, that's important to me. Is that more important to you? Are you really changing the world if you can't keep your house together and you say that's important? So, no, I let go. I think and when I let it go, John, there was no resentment because what I let go of was not who I was. And what I let go of committed to I take care of who I love and what's important to me in this life. And then I found something better and I found something better each time I did it. So you have to be careful of your why you absolutely need to know why that you do that. And there's more than money, Tom and uh, Laura saying adrenaline is a drug and it's a, and Tom says it's addictive and has major side effects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stopped going to Six Flags. I used to love going to Six Flags as a teenager and a young adult. And after I was on the ambulance for about a year, somebody invited me to go to Six Flags. And I went and rode what at the time was my favorite ride, the Ninja. And I got on, and I'm telling you, I was bored. I got on that ride expecting the thrill. I went, I mean, I'm going down hills, and everybody's screaming, and I'm looking around going, I get more excitement off the truck and, and, and those moments when somebody's life is in my hands and than this and I've never ridden another ride up there. Well that's not true. Myself and, and you know, I'll take my kids up there and they ride all the roller coasters. But for me the thrill of the roller coaster was gone because of that adrenaline that comes in when, when somebody's not breathing and you can help them with that. There's an adrenaline rush. Balance. You have to find balance. You're not alone. You're never alone. And that's why I told that story. And I told it as vividly and as detailed as I could in the moment to show. I'm sure there's stuff I'm not even touching on in that moment that I went through. But to show the ultimate 
feeling of being alone. The person I loved in my life pushing me over the edge. And let me tell you something. I loved myself more than I loved her then, but I loved her a lot. So we were both pushing me over the edge. Being, well, abandoned. Having my world shatter yet again in my life of what I believed my world was. But see, when we have a false reality, we need that to be shattered. To be mentally healthy, you need to question. You need to be aware of what can happen and you need to observe. I have always wanted to be paid to do media. I never once ever envisioned teaching in an EMS school or working with Tom, who when I left, because I was an asshole, I thought everybody was an asshole. I didn't like Tom when I left EMS, uh, Newton EMS. I had bad memories of him. Um, In fact, I saw him in public one time after what I now know he went through a divorce, put on a lot of weight. I saw him again in public, recognized him, and avoided the crap out of him. Never once did I ever envision I'd be sitting here creating media with him and that I'd be stirring the pot and changing an industry that I'm surprised I still believe in. But that's what healing gets you. Wanting to be better, putting nothing else, not feeling good, never about feeling good, wanting to be better, wanting to feel rested, wanting to feel happy and content. And know that I've earned it. Wanting to believe in myself. Outside of this, I call myself the rock out of podcasting. For everything else I do. And there's two reasons for that. But number one, is because I am. Because I finally owned who I was. I stopped listening to the messages that said, from outside and inside, that says I'm less than. Or I don't deserve this. And too many people in EMS, too many people in this world, feel like they don't deserve happiness. You do. And how I got from under that table to sitting here was I let go of everything. I said, I want to make my wife happy. I want to be happy. I want to find rest. And that changed everything. Being able to say, okay, I'm going to make her happy. I went to an office job. I was happy. I started to say, you know, two, two months in, three months in, to have my wife look at me and say, oh, my God, to have the same paycheck every week. Change was my life. Oh my God! To to to. I think she said all in one statement, but this is how I remember it. Oh my God! To be able to pay our bills, not worry ever worry about paying our bills, but to know that we're going to pay our bills and have money left over to where we can we can go have some fun. That you, and 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 John, because John's the one who said it, and I, I I just you're. I'm just addressing you, but this is to the world. To think that you're going to resent them because you quit the job you thought you had to have. Well, do you have to have that relationship? Because that's literally in that moment, the choice I'm giving you is, is the relationship important or is the job important? Because for me, it was important. And and seeing that change, thinking, going into all this, thinking, I'm going to do this because I have to do what's right for my family. It's time for me to step up and stop holding on to the pissant jobs that I had in EMS that were paying me nothing. To stop holding on to, well, if I go to this job, I can play my video games guilt-free because it's 24 hours and I'm actually working, but I can play my games and I can work on my podcast and I can goof off and not spend time with my family, but I get this reasonable. To let go of those bullshit reasons. To go into saying, I'm going to take care of my family. To get a better paying job. To think that she was holding me back. To think that she 
didn't want me to spend money to then have that realization that she goes, I mean, I can see her breathe. And I realized in that moment, I hadn't seen her truly breathe in a long time because our life had been tense. The ability to pay bills had been tense to not knowing if we're going to have to borrow money from our parents yet again, which made her cry every time that it happened. And it happened way too much to see her emotionally take a breath and be like, be able to be independent and pay her bills. It's so good. And then all of a sudden, she's taking me on trips to Biloxi for my birthday. And she's planning for this and that. It changed my world. And that's, I'm going to end with this. Because I, I will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. This is important to me. Mental health is important to me. It's one of the most important things to me. Especially in EMS. Is what we think will happen. We never can truly envision the positive outcome of things. We tend to, I feel like as human beings, only envision the negative outcome of things. There's a lot of fear-based everything in our life, especially EMS, because guess what? We see people with drug habits. We see people with alcohol habits. We see the burnouts in our field who we pity. But we really shouldn't pity them. We should talk to them and learn from them. Why do you do this? If they don't answer this, they don't answer this. That's on them. Who cares? Ask. But we see the car wrecks. We see the darkest part of lives. The, the, the most darkly, deeply painful, emotional points of human beings' lives. We're there for that. We're a part of that. We absorb that. And if you don't find a way to let it go, you may end up on the wrong end of a decision and kill yourself. You're not alone. People feel the way you feel. People go through divorces. People lose their jobs. People lose their kids. People fail all the time. Getting that promotion ain't going to change that. Getting a better job because you, you want to save your marriage? Well, if your marriage is failing because you're not having enough money, maybe that is the right answer. But do you really know that because you've sat down and talked with your spouse? That's the key. And then the future you envision, has to be, you have to let it go. Because if we hold on to a tight little vision, that's all you'll ever get. But if you go... I want to help people. I want to be happy. I would love to change lives. And I think I'm supposed to do it in EMS or fire, but I don't know. You may be the greatest chief that ever walked the planet at your service. You may end up becoming the, the head of EMS for the state and changing the industry for everybody. You may just sit on a microphone and talk and affect somebody's life. There's no just in any of that. But you, what you will be is happy and rested and fulfilled. And that is what's important. Not running that next call because there will always be that next call. Not picking up an extra shift because you really want to go to Disney next year. There will always be an extra shift. You need to go home and remember why you do what you do.
I'm, I, I like this, uh, Laura. However bad and permanent situation may seem, is still temporary. You're in the now, and that's where we get in our heads. Because in the, my darkest moments, I was turning down sex for my wife, and she wanted it a good amount of time then. And she actually said to me, and it, I, I pointed that out because I'm a, I was a dumbass. Because now with four kids, and two of them are in high, you know, one's in high school, one's in middle school, two teenagers now. There ain't a whole lot of time for some loving, you know what I'm saying? There's not a whole lot of energy. And I begged for some of that time back. But I was turning her down. And she actually said to me, why do we only have sex when you want it and not when I want it? And she was mad. And she was rejected. And she was taking it personally, as she should have. But it wasn't personal. Because I remember in that specific instance, going into the bathroom, looking at myself, one of the few times I've looked at myself in the eyes, you know, that TV moment where you have to have a reality talk with yourself. I looked at myself in my own eyes. And I knew in that moment I said it to myself, it's because I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I'm lovable. Because I knew she loved me. I don't feel lovable. I had to fix that. I had to love myself first. I had to understand, didn't matter how many lies I said. And let me tell you something. I can count on my hand, maybe two hands, the amount of lies I know without my direct intervention, they would have died right there. I've gotten zero credit for it. All the credit from those calls went to firefighters and other people. And at the time, it pissed me off and pushed me darker. Not everybody's like me. I get that. Some of you are out there, and, and you make a difference in the world to make the difference. And, you, and you're healthier than I was. Maybe you're healthier than I am. But you can never move forward in fear of what's going to happen next. You have to move to the positive Love yourself. Take care of yourself. PPE seen safe. We take care of ourselves first. And that means if you are depressed and you just, you are unhappy. Let me, let me rephrase this. If you're just unhappy and you feel like no matter how many hours at night you sleep, you wake up like you ha and you feel like you've never slept. You need help. That was one of the big signs in my life that I would have uh, I would swap shifts and have five days off and I'd sleep in every day. And by the time I went back to the work, even, even through all that, I just felt like I hadn't slept at all. I felt like I was getting no sleep. I felt like I was miserable. I couldn't be happy as much as I wanted. Now I laughed. I think Laura might've said earlier that depression can laugh. Maybe I saw that online somewhere. I don't know. No, yeah, you can be in the, the shittiest place possible and you can laugh and you can have fun and you can still tell jokes. I was still making people laugh during that time. And I felt alone. But PPE seems safe, taking care of yourself first. If you feel like that, if you feel just unhappy all the time, unsatisfied, you feel like your marriage is falling apart, you feel like you, no matter how much you sleep, you don't get enough sleep. You feel like no matter how much you work, you don't get appreciated or you, you don't make enough money. Then it's up to you to fight for those answers instead of holding on to the darkness because you're choosing to hold on to it. If you're choosing to be quiet, if you don't know how to ask, ultimately you're choosing not to try. And I know that's a hard truth. And it feels like, why are you blaming the victim? There's no blame here. There's no blame here. I chose to fight with my wife. I chose to not talk about the way that kids call, that 12-year-old who stopped breathing, that broke a whole lot of excuses that I had. I chose for a couple of days not to talk about that until I had to talk about it. And the biggest thing the counselor told me 
was you have a, a, a wife or somebody you love at home? Yes, I do. Uh, do you talk to them about this? No, I don't. He goes, you have to. You have to talk to them about this and everything you do here because what they will feel is you're pushing them away because you are. He gave me the hard truth that I needed to hear, and that's what I'm trying to pass on today. PPE scene safe. Take care of yourself, which means if you feel any of those things that I talked about, if you identify with any of the stuff I talked about today, you have to ask for help. And when the first person freaks out and can't help you, then ask somebody else. And if they tell you to suck it up, ask somebody else. You will find somebody to tell you it will be okay. And tomorrow is a new day. Because you're in the now right now and you can't see it. But tomorrow is a new day. For I'm specifically addressing EMTs, AMTs, and paramedics. When you were in school, remember back, every test was hard. Everything was a little crazy. Everything was going on. And you were in school. But then you're out. And now you it's a blink, right? You were done. Paramedics who went to 18 months of school and you've been in the field for two, three years, it was a blink and you're done. But when you were there in the now, it's like you didn't know if you're going to pass that midterm. You didn't know if you're going to get that national registry. You were stressed out. That's life. You're in the now. We can talk about it more. We need to talk about it more. Go to your work. Talk to your partner about something you're struggling with. 